Well, good morning and welcome to Rock Hills. I want to echo what Heather said just a little while ago. If this is your first time here, you are welcome in this place. I don't believe on any given Sunday that it's an accident that any one of you end up here. I believe uh, that there's a reason that you're here today, and I pray that God speaks to every single one of you. If you have been here for a while, you may have noticed we have some new faces up here on the stage today, and they did a great job. So I want to tell you who they were just real quick, because a lot of these people are pretty special to me. But the one who was standing right here in the middle, that was Hannah. She's my favorite. I have to admit I'm a little bit biased. Uh, She's my oldest daughter, and she's here with us regularly, but we had some new faces as well. But you also saw Josh. He's with us regularly on the drums. And so those are the familiar faces. Back here on the bass, we had Alberto. This man deserves some sort of award because if you know Miguel, our sound tech in the back, that is his father. And so anybody who has put up with Miguel for that many years... No, uh, we're so glad to have him here with us today. Like Heather said, Natalie that was singing over here to my right, uh, I've known her for several years since she was a high school student, and she had a dream in her heart to go to the mission field in Uganda, and she did it. And she, she lives in Uganda. She helps deliver babies over there and reached unreached people over there. And so she just has a great story. She'll be out in the lobby afterwards, uh, and she's got some information about the ministry she's involved with. So we'd love for you to meet her, as well as she's going to be at the Jens' house tonight uh, speaking to our students. So if you have high school students, get them there. It's going to be a great night. If you want to pretend like you're a high school student to go, Please feel free to do so. Just bring some cookies with you and nobody will say anything. Uh, Also, we had Ness back here on guitar. He's been one of my friends for several years. And I said, hey, could you come play guitar for us? And he said, I'll be there. Uh, He he loves the Lord. He's got such a great family. So we're glad to have him here. And then on this side, we had uh, John Leal. And he is uh, an amazing man of God who I've known for a few years. As a matter of fact, a couple of years ago, uh, when I first found out I was going to be moving to San Antonio and I wanted to come up here and do ministry, uh, he came up beside me and he said, hey, did you hear my news? And I got so excited because I thought he was going to tell me he's coming to San Antonio to lead worship with me, but he gave me the second best news, and that was he was going to be taking my spot at the church I left in Rockport, and there's nobody better I would have liked to have passed the baton to uh, than John, but he's come up here to lead worship for us today, so we're so glad for all those guys. Y'all give them a hand. They did a great job. We're starting a brand new series today called Soul Activity. What does that really mean? How do we how do we really love God? I mean, we hear people talk about that, but, but what does that really look like? How do we honor God? How do we serve God and serve others? That's what we're going to be talking about in this series, not just a list of to-dos, but how can we genuinely live that out? What does that mean? When we talk about soul, we talked about our soul's anchor a few weeks ago. Your soul is who you are minus the skin, the bones, and the blood. It's you, your mind, your will, your emotions. It's you on the inside. Take, take away this incredibly good-looking body. There's somebody inside here, right? There's somebody inside there of you. That is your soul. It's who you are, your inner being. And so we're going to talk about what it means for our souls to genuinely love God because the truth is our mind, our will, and our emotions, if you're anything like me, you need some help. And there's an answer for that help. And that answer, obviously, is Jesus. Our souls need God. So as we take a look at soul activity, there's one first step of this activity that really makes a difference. And that's what we're going to talk about today. 
As, as we talk about our souls, we long for our souls to have genuine purpose and genuine fulfillment. I think if you're anything like me, you want to be here for more than just breathing air, more than just another day marked off the calendar, another day at work, another day at home, watching the Spurs win, whatever it is. You, you want your life to mean more than that. And that's what we're going to be talking about. Because the truth is, our, des- our, our souls desire, long for something greater. And that answer is God. So how do we truly follow Him? That's what we're going to be talking about. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I welcome you, Father, to come and speak to us today. Not that it would be my words, but that your words would speak through us today. Father, I thank you that no person is here by accident. But Lord, I pray that the heart of God would speak to every single person in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. Rock Hills Church is not here today just to fulfill some sort of religious duty in your life. As a matter of fact, this church was never started for that purpose. And we have Super Dave Lance with us here in the house somewhere today that started this church. Where's Dave at? Raise your hand. There he is, hiding back at the back. First chance he gets, he goes to the back row back there. No, uh, this church has never been about that. It's never been just a place for you to come and say, okay, we sang some songs. I put a few bucks in the box in the back and I listened to a preacher talk. Check, done for the week. That's never been what this church has been about. We want to help you draw closer to God wherever you're at, whether you've been walking with God for generations or whether you're still trying to figure this whole thing out, wherever you're at, we want to help you draw closer to God. The Bible actually tells us if you draw near to God, He will draw near to you. There's no prerequisite with that that says you've got to be good and then God's going to draw near to you. The Bible just says if you will draw near to God, wherever you're at today, with whatever your struggles are, whatever you're facing, if you will choose today, even just in this hour, to say, God, I want to draw near to you. God says he's going to meet you halfway, maybe even more than halfway. If you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. So this church is a place where we want you to be able to draw near to God, to become the person that he created you to be. I can remember so clearly, like it was yesterday, my freshman year of college, because it was just a few years ago. But it was actually 1992, my freshman year of college. I can remember being in a tiny dorm room. I was up on my top bunk. We had bunk beds in there, and I'm, I'm sitting on this top bunk in Lubbock, Texas, and I'm reading through the Bible because everybody else in the dorm is just going out and going crazy, and I'd grown up in church, and I, I loved God, and I wanted to live for God, but I really didn't know what that meant, and so I remember just as everybody else was going out, I just want, it's quiet in here right now. I just want to open up my Bible and see what it says. And I remember I was just reading and reading and reading through the book of Acts. And I see in Acts God doing all of these amazing things through these people. And as I looked at that, I, was, I remember thinking so clearly in my life, God, I believe in you, but what I see in the pages of this book is not what I see happening in my life. I just believe in you. And I have a genuine belief, but I'm not seeing it happen. And I came to a crossroads in my life where I said, God, if you're there, I want to live for you with everything that I am. But I want to see what happens in these pages of this book happen in my life. I don't want it to just be something that's in my head, but I never actually see the fruit of it. I never see it lived out. And it was in that crossroads in my life that there was a turning point where I had a different mindset and I began to see God do amazing things. I've not been perfect but I can say I can look at that crossroads and say I've never turned back. 
I want all that God has for me. That's my desire for every one of you as well. Wherever you're at in your walk, that you would come to a place where you can say, God, I don't want to just believe. I don't want to just follow the rules, but I want to have and be and do everything that you are calling me to have and be and do. I want to be fully yours. You see, in our Christian walk, I could say my life up to that point could be described this way, and many of us can be this way. It can be like a giant game of Jesus says, right? Jesus says, go to church. You all went to church today. Congratulations. You're still in the game, right? Jesus says to pray, so you pray. Jesus says, you know, go to summer camp. Go read your Bible. And we do all these things. And much like the game Simon says, all right? So everybody pity me here. Simon says, raise your right hand. This is participatory. Simon says, wave your right hand. Now put your hand down. All right, see, some of you are out. Some of you did good. You can, Simon says, put your hand down, right? But, you know, this kindergarten game where you do what you're supposed to do, and if you do it right, you're still in the game. But if you don't do what Simon said, then what? Go sit down. You're out of the game. And our Christian walk can be like that with Jesus. Jesus says, go to church. Jesus says, do this. Jesus says, do that. Okay, I'm doing what Jesus said. I, I, I'm doing this, and I'm doing that. And eventually, you miss something. So what happens? You need to go sit down. You're out of the game. Now, let's be real honest. If I go and sit down and I'm out of the game, it's a whole lot easier than being in the game, trying to do everything right and be right in every way. And all my friends are over here, and they're out of the game as well. So it's easier just to sit out of the game But then at some point, you might feel convicted and say, okay, I need to get back in the game, and I need to start doing all these things again. So I'm going to church, I'm reading my Bible, and I'm praying, and all those things are good, but we're just checking them off the list because we feel like this is what Jesus has called us to do. So I'm in the game, I'm doing these things, and then also a pitfall of being in this Jesus says game is it's real easy when you're doing really good in the game to look over at all the people who've gotten out of the game and be judgmental of them, right? (laughs) They're not going to church enough. They don't read their Bible enough. They're going to the wrong places, doing the wrong things with the wrong people. And I'm staying in the game. And it's easy to have this arrogance. And we've probably all been around Christians like that where we just feel like it's not even worth it to be in the game if that's what it's going to be like. But I want to tell you today that that is not what being a Christian is about. Being a Christian is not about you just checking off the boxes and saying, okay, I did my religious duties today. And we might not even think about it in that framework, but if we're honest and we look at our lives, we can find ourselves in that place where we're just doing religious deeds, but there's no soul activity. We're doing things, we're obeying, but our hearts aren't drawing near to God. You may have hit a crossroads at some point in your life where the view of God that you grew up with is do this, do this, do this. Don't do that, don't do that, and don't do that. Do, 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 do. Don't, 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 don't. And that was the framework that we saw God within. And if that's the framework that we see God within, it's easy just to say, I'm out of the game. I'm going to stop going to church. I'm going to stop doing these Christian things. And if I go to hell, I go to hell. I'll have friends there with me, right? And it's easy to kind of look at it in that Place. But here's what I want us to do. As we go into this series, the awesome thing about our walk with God is that we can start with a brand new blank slate. 
And I want us to start with a blank slate of what it means to walk with God and follow God. Because as we look at how Jesus describes it, he turns that paradigm completely upside down. The Jesus game did not come from Jesus. He's not telling us, Jesus says this, Jesus says this, Jesus says don't do this. He turns that paradigm completely upside down. You can just look at the first four books of the New Testament. We call those the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are four accounts of Jesus' life, and they are extraordinarily relational. They're not about the rules. They're about Jesus wants to have a relationship with you and with me. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, I have come so that you can understand the Father. In other words, I'm here to have a relationship with you so that you can have a relationship with God the Father. This is all about a relationship. So if your approach and view to Christianity has just been a list of do's, and thus the state of your soul, your mind, your will, and emotions, as far as they relate to God has been anything less than relationship or anything more than relationship, then we've missed what the gospel is really all about. But let's be honest. How do we have a genuine relationship with a God that we can't see, that we can't audibly hear? How do we have a real relationship with that kind of God? That's exactly what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. So I encourage you, be here. Don't miss any of these weeks coming up. How do we relate with God? How do we have a genuine relationship with Him? How does He see us? Well, it all comes down to our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions. Remember, it's who you really are, minus your bones, your skin, your blood. It's you on the inside. Here's what I want you to know. That you that's in there that maybe hardly anybody else knows, or maybe just a handful of people who know who you really are on the inside, that's what God is after. God isn't after how well-behaved you are or how good you look. God is after, after your soul. He wants a relationship with your soul, and He has invited you, your soul, to have a relationship with Himself. So let's go there today. As He invites us the real us, the real me on the inside, my mind, my will, my emotions, my heart, my soul, my strength, everything about me to follow him, to walk with him, to interact with him. And this, this is regardless of what your background is. Rich people, poor people, everywhere in between, men, women, young, old, those who have had it easy, those who have had a hard life. He invites us all to come and follow him. We're going to look at an example of this today. From Matthew chapter 9. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Matthew is going to tell us a story about Matthew. All right? So he's writing, telling us an account from his own life. Just like I kind of told you all a second ago about my experience as a college freshman. Well, Matthew is going to tell us about one of his very first experiences as he meets Jesus. So Matthew 9, we'll begin in verse 9. As Jesus was walking along... He saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home to be his dinner guest, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. 
But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come not to call those who think that they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. So here's Jesus. He's coming walking along, and he sees Matthew sitting here at this tax collector's booth. Now, just a little background for you guys if you aren't familiar with this tax collector situation in Bible times. We're not talking your IRS agent that helps you fill out your taxes once a year, and hopefully you get a tax return. This tax collector would have produced an enormous amount of emotion and disgust for these Jewish people that would have walked up and seen this tax collector waiting there. The best comparable I could give to you in a modern day is this is a drug dealer who sells crack, who hangs out at the convenience store and catches middle school kids after school and hooks them up and gets them hooked. This is, this is a guy who makes a whole lot of money selling pictures on the internet of kids, all right? I mean, all of a sudden, that, that just makes all of our hair on the back of our neck stand up, right? Knowing, everybody knows that's what this guy does. We wouldn't want to have anything to do with that guy other than a few choice words and maybe cash me outside, right? I mean, that's how we, that's how we would feel about this guy. That's exactly how the Jewish people felt about tax collectors. Now, here's why. It's not just because they hated taxes. The Roman government ruled over the Jewish people. The Roman government wanted to take taxes from the Jewish people, and they would take a lot of taxes. Taxes for everything. Taxes for things that were sold. Taxes when you came to port. Taxes, taxes, taxes. And they wanted to take a lot of taxes, but they didn't want to be the bad guy. So they would find a Jewish citizen who would buy the right to be a tax collector. And then that Jewish citizen would charge the Jewish people as much as he wanted to as long as Rome got their cut. So these guys sold out their family, sold out their own people just so they could fill their pockets and live like a rich cat. That's exactly what they were doing. So the Jewish people despised tax collectors. They were disgusted with tax collectors. So the very idea just sent chills down their spine. They were outcasts. We see in the Bible, they could only hang out with other tax collectors and disreputable sinners because they couldn't go to the temple. They couldn't go all the other places that Jewish people went because nobody wanted to have anything to do with them. They were hated by their own people. This was Matthew. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. First book in your New Testament. That's who we're talking about right here. Matthew, the drug dealer. Matthew, the picture peddler, right? I mean, as bad as that sounds, that's exactly who Matthew was. Jesus and a few of his disciples are coming across the lake. They're in a boat. They're rowing. They get off at the dock. They come off the dock, and here's a guy waiting at his tax collecting booth. You want to go any farther? you got to pay the piper. So here's Matthew. He's basically robbing all these Jewish people, charging as much as he wants to charge and keeping whatever he wants to keep as they come through. And along comes Jesus, and he's followed by Peter and some of the other disciples. And I can just imagine Peter, because if you read about Peter, he's a fiery guy. 
I think that he's just waiting because he's seen Jesus in action. And he knows how, how, how awesome that Jesus is. I think he's just waiting for Jesus to let this guy have it. As he's walking up to this tax collector. And Jesus walks up to Matthew. And he looks him in the eye. And he could have said a lot of things. He could have just lit into him. He could have just said, I bet your mother is really proud of you. You know? I mean, he could have just laid it on. But that's not what he says. Out of all the things that Jesus could have said and should have said and would have been justified to say, he looks Matthew in the eye and he says, follow me. Jesus would have been considered a rabbi at this point, a great teacher. With disciples, it would basically be his assistants and learn from him and follow him. Those people who were his disciples, he would go to them and say, follow me. And they would leave what they were doing and follow this rabbi. So here he is. He's with a few other disciples. He goes up to Matthew a tax collector, and he says, follow me. I can just imagine Peter. Oh, Jesus Christ, you know? I mean, he would be going, no, don't ask this guy. I'm with you, Jesus. I'm not with a tax collector. How dare you ask a tax collector to come with us? The Bible tells us that Matthew got up from his tax collecting booth, and he followed Jesus. Jesus didn't say to him, okay, listen, I'm going to come back in a few weeks. I want you to get your act together. I want you to pay people back, and then I want you to come follow me. He didn't even say to him, listen, if you can tell me you're really sorry for making this choice, then you can come follow me. There were no stipulations whatsoever. He simply looked at Matthew and said, come follow me. Jesus was calling to his soul, his mind, his will, and his emotions, saying, I want to have a relationship with you. I want you to experience what God has for you. He does the same with us. He looks at our souls, our mind, our will, our emotions, who we truly are on the inside, past all the religious rules, past our our hang-ups and our hurts and all those things that we deal with, the stress of life. He looks at us and says, Would you come follow me? So the real question we have to ask ourselves, am I following? Am I following Jesus? Is it more than just I'm sitting through a a service and checking off a box? Is it more than just my mom told me to come to church today, so here I am? God is calling to your soul and saying, come follow me. So the question to us is, Are we following Jesus? Now, if this seems too simple for you, it was way too simple for the Pharisees, the religious people. The Pharisees were the people who did everything right. They made sure they followed every single law, dotted every I, crossed every T, memorized every scripture. They were all about the rules. And they thought this is just way too simple for you to just call him to come and follow you. And if they thought that was too simple, I'm sure... Uh, They really freaked out over the next scene when Jesus shows up at Matthew's house so that they can have dinner together. Not just Matthew, but a whole group of tax collectors, and as the Bible says, unreputable sinners. They all gathered together because that's the only people that they could be with. 
And I'm sure it was uncomfortable for the disciples. I mean, they're surrounded by sinner cooties, right? People that they, they, they were just tense around. You know, I'm sure Peter is, you know, having a little bit of a panic attack in that moment. He's surrounded not just by one tax collector, but by a whole room full of tax collectors. And now they're all getting together, eating, drinking, and being merry. And here's Jesus right in the middle of them. While Jesus is having dinner, many tax collectors and sinners, these two groups get together. And this is a big deal for this reason. This is a big deal, especially if sometimes you struggle with church and the whole concept of church. Here's what I want you to get today. And this is really important. Jesus was extremely comfortable being with people who were not like him. He was extremely comfortable being around people who were not perfect. And people who were not like Jesus, people who were not perfect, were extremely comfortable being around Jesus. They followed him everywhere that he went. That's something that I have had to work on myself, to be quite honest. And if you're a religious person, and we can tend to struggle with this and have questions, I want to encourage you, look to who truly Jesus is and what he's calling us to. If you're not a religious person, and you struggle with some of these sort of things, I want to say to you today, as as a pastor here at Rock Hills, if you feel anything less than accepted and loved by us, that's our fault. That's my fault that you feel that way here today. And I say that because that is not Jesus' heart towards you. You are accepted and loved by Jesus. And if you've been into a church where you feel like I don't belong and I don't measure up, I want you to hear today, that is not God's heart for you. If you are eating dinner, your life is just a room full of tax collectors and unreputable sinners, Jesus is right in the midst with you and he is comfortable being right there with you. And he's simply calling you to come and follow him. Jesus Knowing the hearts of these people, he knows what they did last summer. He knows what they have been up to. Despite everything that these people in this room have done, he's calling to them and saying, follow me. I want you to have a relationship with the Father. So the Pharisees are outside having a hissy fit, right? I mean, they're having a panic attack. How dare Jesus go in there with all those despicable people? Doesn't he know what they have done? How can he even call himself a man of God? Eating dinner with them, he should be out here with us. Because we're the people who do everything right. He should be having dinner with us, not having dinner with them. He knows that there's a commotion going on outside while he's down here having dinner with all of these people. And so he talks to them indirectly. You know, one of those kind of passive-aggressive kind of shots like, Good morning, Roy. How are you doing today? I sure do wish the people at the soundboard back there would do a better job. You know, I'm just telling you, Roy, but those people at the soundboard, they really need to get their act together. Right? He's having this conversation where he's talking to the people that he's eating with, but he didn't have a microphone on like I did. He's talking to the people who are standing outside the house. It would have been an open-air house, right? It's not like our house is 
doors closed, windows closed, and you wouldn't really hear what's going on inside. It's an open air house, and they're all sitting around, more like a porch. So they're all sitting around eating, and all the Pharisees are around the back, and they're judging, and they're just having this hissy fit, right? And he's having this conversation with the tax collectors, but he's really talking to the Pharisees. And so he's talking to them in a little bit of a raised voice so that everybody can hear outside. When Jesus said this, when Jesus heard this, he said, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. He's not even really talking to the tax collectors. He's talking to them. Learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For for I have not come to call those who think they are righteous but those who know that they are sinners. So on hearing this, he's saying it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. So Matthew and all the tax collectors, they're sitting around there eating, they're drinking, they're like, wait, did you just call us sick? Did you, did you, and I'm sure Jesus just would have looked at him and gone, you're a tax collector, you know you're sick. (laughs) Yeah, right, and they give each other high fives. They know that they're sick. They aren't allowed to go anywhere else that the other people go. They know that they have sold out their family and betrayed them. They know that their soul is shattered. And Jesus is saying, I'm here for those of you who know that your mind, your will, your emotions, your being is never going to be good enough on your own. You need a savior. I'm not here for the people who think that they're good enough just because they do a list of do's and don't do a list of don'ts. I'm here to have a relationship with you. The truth is we're all hypocrites. We all judge others by their actions and ourselves by our intentions. You know that you've broken God's rules. I know that I have broken God's rules. I mean, the Bible says if I even look at a woman with lust, I've committed adultery. It's very clear we are sinful, broken souls. And Jesus says, that's exactly why I've come for you. He tells, he tells the Pharisees indirectly, go and learn what this means. This would have been doubly insulting to them because that's all they did was sit around and study Scripture and discuss Scripture about what it meant. So as he says this to these, these guys, he quotes Hosea saying, mercy, not sacrifice, not righteous, but sinners. He's looking for people who don't just believe the right things in their head and follow the rules. He's looking for people that know that they have a need, a lack for a savior in their mind, their will, and their emotions. If you're a Christian here today, I want to say this. We dare not become a church at Rock Hills that simply gathers together to sing songs to believe the right things, and now we expect you to go and behave the right way, and we just stop there. Believe and do, believe and do, and it never gets down into our heart. It never gets down into our souls. Because if we find ourselves in that spot, where we become a church that's just about you believing the right things, now go and do all the right things, we're going to become a church full of Pharisees that are just playing Jesus says, and judging those who are on the outside when really we're sick and we need a Savior. 
I don't want to be a pastor of a church. I don't want to attend a church. I don't want my kids to be a part of a church that is only about believing the right way and forgetting that God has called us to Himself to come and follow Him, giving Him all that we are. The church that is content to just believe and behave will eventually become Pharisees. Jesus says to us as a church, come follow me. Come and be my disciples. Jesus says to you as an individual, come and follow me. Are you messed up? It's okay. Are you a tax collector? Are you a sinner? Come follow me. Come and follow me. And he calls to our souls to follow him. Four quick things as we close that I want you to know about what it means to follow Jesus. Because as we talk about soul activity... The most important thing that we can do for our souls to be alive, to have purpose, to have meaning, the very first thing we need to do, regardless of where you're at in your spiritual walk, is follow Jesus. The first thing I want you to know about following Jesus, being a sinner does not disqualify you from following Jesus. I want you to hear that again. Being a sinner does not disqualify you from following Jesus. As a matter of fact, it's a prerequisite. All right, every single person that Jesus called to follow him was a sinner. The only people who resisted Jesus were the people who thought that they were perfect and had their lives in order. Before Matthew prayed a prayer that we know of, before he repented, he chose to follow Jesus. So listen to me today. There is no sin There is no bad habit, there is no addiction, there is no problem with your soul that is outside the reach and the calling of Jesus to reach you today. Whatever it is that you struggle with, maybe those are things that are obvious, you know I have trouble getting over this, maybe it's just that thing that you look in the mirror and when you see yourself you can't stand. Whatever it is in your life, there is nothing in your life that is outside the call of Jesus to say, come follow me. Come with me. It's okay. Come with me. The second thing I want us to know about following Jesus. Being a non-believer does not disqualify you from following Jesus. When Jesus called people, he called many of them before they even believed. They may have grown up with religious knowledge. They may have grown up with the rules. Or they may have grown up complete sinners. Jesus called people all across the board, come and follow me. So even if you're here today and you're saying, I don't know about this whole church thing, it's okay. Jesus still knows your soul. He still loves you right where you're at. And he says, come and follow me. You see, as they followed Jesus, there's, there's even a scripture where the disciples are following Jesus and ministry is happening, and it says, and then they believed. They had been following Jesus for an extended period of time, and then they believed. You may just have to take one step at a time and say, okay, I'm going to give this a try. I'm going to go back to church next week. I'm going to do this. I'm going to open up my Bible, whatever it is. I'm going to take some sort of effort in my life to draw closer to Jesus And as you draw closer to Jesus, he can bring you to the place where you believe. He can bring you to the place where you can overcome the bad habits that have held on to you so tight. He can bring you to a place as you follow him where he changes the way you think, the way you see yourself as we follow him. The third thing I want you to know about following Jesus. 
An invitation to follow him is purely an invitation to relationship. All right? I am married to the most wonderful woman in the entire world. We've been married 21 years this May, and uh, it just keeps getting better and better and better. But if our marriage was simply about following marriage rules and that's all it was, it would be pretty miserable. It's not about that at all. It's about a relationship. And because there's a great relationship there, the rules just take care of themselves. We don't even have to worry about the rules. Jesus simply calls you to a relationship. If you will start following him and having a relationship with him, you don't even have to worry about the rules. Because the Bible says, as we decrease, he increases in our lives. We follow him, we decrease, he keeps increasing in our lives. It's about a relationship. And the fourth thing I want you to know about following Jesus is it forces me to focus on where I am rather than where you are. So as I follow Jesus, I'm not going to be worried about who's out of the Jesus says game. Because I hope that you're following Jesus too, but I don't have time or purpose or reason to judge you for where you're at. My job is to follow Jesus. Your job, your response in that relationship is to follow him. You can't have anybody else's relationship for them. You can only have your relationship. Regardless of where you're at in your walk with God, Jesus desires for you to be whole and complete, mind, will, and emotions. We're going to find wholeness, not in our performance, not in being good, but in following him. Jesus turned that paradigm upside down of what it means to follow him. I love this passage as well. In Mark chapter 6, verses 34 through 37. Then he called, to the, he called the crowd um, to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? And what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? What does it look like to follow Jesus with all of your soul? To legitimately have a relationship with him? To legitimately follow him? That's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks as we talk about loving the Lord and loving others in soul activity. Let's be the church. We're going to pray together and then we're going to celebrate communion. So if you guys would, stick around. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, that you call each one of us, regardless of where we've been or what we've done. Lord, you call unto us to follow you. Lord, I pray for every person in this room today. Father, whether they're a tax collector, whether they struggle with being a Pharisee, whether they struggle with being a disreputable sinner, wherever they're at, Father, I pray that in this moment, Father, here today, and as we celebrate communion, Lord, that they would take the opportunity to say they want to follow you. For some of you, it may be for the first time to say, God, I want to answer that call. I want to encourage you just in your own words as we pray here at the end of the service, as we take communion. I want you to take some time in prayer and just surrender all that you are to God and say, I want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.